0: Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries, hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at portablechurch.com. Hey, Church Planner, welcome to the Hardcore Church Planning Podcast. I am here today with a really cool guest because he also is a church planning podcast host, and you normally can't have us both in the room at the same time <laughs> because it's the power is much too great, but uh, those my listeners know the train. It's coming. You can't stop it. It's like this team up that we have on this podcast right now. My yep. guest today is Daniel M., who is the uh, co-host of the NewChurches.com Q&A podcast, the director of church multiplication for NewChurches.com and Lifeway Christian Resources. He is also the teaching pastor of Fellowship Church in Nashville. Plus, he's got a bunch of churches stringing behind him that he served at, planted, ministered at. And uh, lastly, he's an all-around cool guy. So welcome to the show, Daniel.
1: Hey, thanks, Peyton. Uh, I was, I was going to say all roads lead to church planting and, you know, we'll probably end up there because we we both love church planting, but <laughs> that's right. Man. It's great. It's great. It's great, man. <laughs>
0: that's right. And, you know, on, on top of everything else, to boot, you're an author and not only did you, uh, co-write with Ed Stetzer, uh, the excellent second edition of uh planting missional churches which I'm in page 67 oh, I'm just a <laughs> shameless plug but uh yeah. but no you you've written a new book and I think it's really helpful it's called no silver bullets five small shifts that will transform your ministry so we want to talk about that because um you know really when we talk about the dna of multiplication you've hit the nail on the head so I uh, want to thank you for coming on today and uh, let's just get to know you a little bit for our pieces of our audience that don't know you. Um, tell us a little bit about how you came to faith.
1: Yeah. So my parents immigrated from Korea uh, in the seventies. So three older sisters and I, both my parents had a relationship with God. They're actually, I was the first baby born in the church plant that they were a part of. Uh, so right from when I was a baby, it was kind of in my blood. <laughs> and so Probably about fifth grade, I tagged along to a summer youth retreat that my uh, that my parents shipped my sisters off to. I wasn't quite a student ministry age uh, individual yet, but I guess my parents wanted a vacation <laughs> and have all their kids get shipped <laughs> off. So, but you know, I I praise God that that happened because that's where I really. Really, for the first time, understood the grace of God and, and felt and experienced the grace of God and, and my, you know, my sin and, and where I was at and, and what that really meant to have a relationship with God. Cause I, I mean, I went to Sunday school, flannel board, you know, memorized verses and all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't really anything that, uh, was, was meaningful or, or true for me. So that, that's really kind of what kicked it off there in the fifth mm. grade. I had ups and downs. Um, but really it was from there and it, it was probably in the first year of university where it turned to call the ministry. I was uh, going the pre-med track. Uh, but yeah, the Lord had different plans. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad he directed me that way because otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, Peyton. <laughs> hey, man. A, a lot of people are glad that God
0: took you that way. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, it's really cool, man, because I actually, it's funny. I, I've never been to Korea, but. I feel like I have a strong connection with Korea and it goes beyond kimbap and kimchi <laughs> and other things that I love eating. But being in Wales, there was, there's the Lloyd Jones connection, which heavy yeah. Presbyterian, but also many people don't know this, but the gospel was brought to Korea, uh, inadvertently by a gentleman by the name of Robert Germaine Thomas, who was Welsh and he was mm-hmm. massacred in Pyongyang uh you know years ago and it was his bible pages and you, you obviously i know you know the spiritual history of korea with Moffat and and things like that but it was his bible pages that were all over the the uh the wall of the inn that people were reading when he wow. was massacred and hmm. uh someone uh, uh an inn owner took up those bible pages and uh plastered the inside of his hotel because it was a paper you know yeah and yeah. people came through there and that eventually led to an awakening of the gospel and here this guy dies as a somewhat of a martyr in, in, on the sands coming in on this, uh, Western ship, uh, you know, where there's a standoff and a massacre. And, uh, he, he, in his last dying breath thought, man, I failed, you yeah. know, and yet never know yeah. the impact. You yeah. You have, take right? a look
1: at it now. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely that's, yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. I had a bunch of Koreans in my church and a Korean service running out. And, uh, I was really <laughs> tight with one of the young Korean ministers working on his PhD. And uh he was like, No, no, you can't talk to me. You gotta talk to the oldest of us, which are yeah. a rad little I started learning Korean culture, so it's that's that's fun.
1: <laughs> Man, that's good. You've never shared that with me, that's fun. No, I like no, that. it was really
0: cool, man. It was really cool. So I learned like kansamida, and oh that yeah. was great. So
1: anyways, hey, um, so
0: tell me a little bit how you got involved. I mean, well, you you did tell us how you got involved in church planning, you know. I was born a church planner, right? Because you kinda were, right? Like you were a, yeah. you were a core team member, you know. Paul says he was an apostle from birth. So um tell me how Yeah, as you, an infant, I was stacking chairs as an infant. You were praying, and you know? I really just yes. thought you were yeah, yeah, yeah. you were there sleeping, you but you were deep in prayer. Um yeah. so Tell me a little bit about um, how you got involved as you matured in the faith. How did church planning become a part of your life?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because my dad, as an entrepreneur, I mean, he never went to college. He was in the Korean military. After high school, and and from there moved to Canada, immigrated to Canada. So he was a serial entrepreneur, starting up grocery stores and you know different businesses here and there. So it it just it just kind of was in my blood, and and I loved starting things. I'd always come up with new ideas uh, in school with games. uh, You know, started a Christian club in my high school, and just I mean, I just loved. I just love that. Uh, I actually really often get bored after two years. Uh, I'm sure you can relate to oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I it's just it's think just something of... <laughs> was broken with me, and then I realized oh, I think I'm
0: apostolic. I think that's what's yeah. going
1: on. Yeah. So that's that's where uh, I get I guess a little bit of my history growing up, and and what many people don't actually know is uh, after graduating and, and going into ministry, my first um, I was a part of a church plan. I actually. I was not the interim pastor I was an intern pastor at a church plant uh, who the senior pastor was forced out because of immorality you know uh, you know adultery and mm-hmm. I mean that was, that was really unfortunate so my first sermon was Easter Sunday uh, as an not an interim pastor as an in intern pastor <laughs> Wow. So, so that's, I mean, so it's, it's always really, I mean, I love the idea of reaching the lost. I mean, not just the idea. I love reaching the lost and, and praying for them and, and starting new things. So from there, went to Montreal, another church plan as well, helped them start the second campus. And, and, you know, so it was a lot of that and, and multi-site ministry and all that. So when I was right before coming down to Lifeway, uh, I was at a multi-site church and part of the deal with going on staff there was, hey, they were going to assess me and send me out. And, and uh, my wife and I, you know, it's like maybe this is going to be the mother church that sends us out. So we really prayed about that. Now, the big thing in my heart, Peyton, was that I had a deep call and a love for church multiplication. And, and, you know, I mean, even my ministry in Korea, we called it 937. Because Matthew nine thirty seven, right? The harvest is plentiful and the workers mm-hmm. are few. So that was our heart. That was our prayer. I had a real distinct, deep calling to ministry and a love for planting. And when I was being assessed, uh, the you know, basically after all the pre-assessments, interviews, and all that stuff, they're like, you know what, we want to send you out, we're ready to send you out. But the one thing that you don't have that we are specifically looking for is a call to be the church planter. Right, and at that point, my wife and I were like, you know, it, it kind of we had to take a pause because I was like, I have a distinct call to ministry, and I know everyone has a different view on calling and what role that and what does it even mean to be called to be a church planter and all that stuff. So, I mean, all that to you yeah. know, all that aside, the specific denomination that I was a part of, you know, it was it was Christian and Missionary Alliance, and they had a, there if a, a, you know A. B. Simpson, and there was a huge distinct uh you know i guess emphasis on the call the call right, right? and they're like hey even if even if you're praying tonight and you know you we, we were to say yes god called me to be the church planter tonight or even tomorrow we're ready to send you out and go uh because of your results and what we've you know that what we see in your life but until then we're not going to send you out hmm So I was really, I really, that was hard. That was a hard few months, year after that, and really wrestling through that. And I was like, you know what, as I was bringing it before the Lord, that caused me to really discern, okay, what is the unique calling that God has placed on my life? What is the unique contribution that I can have and make to the kingdom? And how has God used me in the past? And what was really interesting, you know, in talking to mentors and other people and doing assessments and all that stuff, I realized that my personality, my giftedness is very much in the focus of systems, uh, discipleship, leadership development. And it, it really became, it was like, perhaps God is calling me to be the number two guy to a lot of planters who don't have number two guys right. to a lot of pastors that don't have number two guys. Cause in every church that I'd served and enrolled that I was a part of, that was, that was really the role that I had. Hmm. Right. So I just sat on that. I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, before the church I was serving, I mean, I, I had preached four years straight, got really tired of it. I was like, I don't want to do this. And then, and then I went to not preaching at the church and and really working on more adult ministry, you know, doing multi-site stuff for the church. And by the time I ended there, I was preaching more often. So it was this, it was this really interesting point in my life. Where I was just God, I don't you know, my hands are open, my my our, our life is open. I don't really know what you want us to do. We love planting; it's in our blood. Right. We love multiplication, but I I just don't know really know what to do. And then I get a call um, that you know I hear about this opportunity with Ed Stetzer, Todd Atkins, and Eric Geiger at LifeWay, where they're basically trying to figure out how do we resource planters and multipliers. So that's I mean that it that's kind of all happened within a year, year and a half after being assessed. And when my wife and I prayed about it and we just couldn't shake it off. I mean, it was, it meant moving down to the States. I'm Canadian and figuring out, you know, all the visa stuff and just all the complicated, you know, the complicated nature of all of that all, but really since God saying, yes, you know, this is what, this is where I want you to be. and, And we moved down and what's been really neat. What's been really neat is, you know, the, the fact that as I'm here, And as I'm serving church planners and pastors, that it kind of is that number two, you know, I'm kind of serving as a number two guy (laughs) (laughs) to a lot, you know, through the resourcing and all the stuff that I get to do here. So, yeah, it's a little bit of my story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you guys, you guys really provide, I mean, there's a lot of cool startup stuff that you guys provide to church planners over at newchurches.com. There's like kits and things that people get with their membership, which is really rad and really Mm -hmm. necessary. Um, so that, that's good, man. I can totally see how that you would be like a number two to those guys. And I think that's important too, because when I, you know, I, I mentioned on a blog this week that I, I failed two online church planning assessments. Yeah. I, they don't know where to put me either, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> because I, I don't, I, I probably wouldn't fit that either. I plant churches nowadays just to train church planners. I don't actually yeah. plant them like I used to. They used to be just, I just want to reach a loss. Well, that's still yeah. a priority, but to me, it's more Paul at a certain point, he shifts mm-hmm. his focus to training others. And I think when, you know, it's kind of like Exponential's got that theme coming up this year, being a hero maker, you, you quit trying to be the hero, you know, yeah. you're just, you're just saying, you know what, I don't got to be the hero. There's one hero and I'm just going to help other people, you know, so your ministry really is about other people's ministry. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of me too, man. I, I, yeah. I, I get that.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the body of Christ, I really see myself as a ligament, uh, as a ligament in the body of Christ, right? Cause God's always used me in these bridge type roles. So even when Ed was like, Hey, I want to redo planting missional churches. Do you want to do it with me? And I'm like, we, we, you know, <laughs> who am I? Like who knows more about church planting than Ed Stetzer? Right. Right. And I'm like, "What? Well, I don't, Yet, you know, he wanted me to write chapters. He wanted me to just kind of redo it and, and take lead on, on that whole thing. I didn't even know he was going to, you know, let me put my name on it. Uh, I was just like, I just want to serve church. No, I just I'm like, I just want to serve. I just want to serve church yeah. planners. You know, if this is the best way. Let's do it. And so when I looked at what my contribution was going to be to the book, it was, you know what? You know, who has God gifted me to be? You know, what is my unique role here? And it's the systems, the leadership development, the discipleship pathway stuff. Uh, that really, it was a lot of the stuff that was resonating on my heart. I was actually working on No Silver Bullets before planting missional churches, but I put it on hold. I didn't really know what the final form was going to take. Uh, I did a little bit of that in planting missional churches, and then the opportunity came for me to write this. So it's just, you know, kind of my unique bent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me a little
0: bit about. How you came, cause, um, it's again, it's no silver bullets, five small shifts that will transform your ministry. And I want to unpack, you know, kind of just get an overview what those five small shifts are. But, um, kind of what, what led to you writing this? You know, there's always a story behind the story.
1: Yeah. So part of it is man, I don't, I don't know about you, Peyton. And we see, you know, we see each other at conferences quite a bit. And, <laughs> you know, we'll, any church planning conference, you know, we'll, we'll likely bump into each other. We just can't be in the room together too long. <laughs> it's too much power. Yeah. So uh, in light bald, of that, it would be explosive. <laughs> in my, you have hair on your chin. I got hair on my head. and right. it even right. There we go. Yeah. So what's interesting is, I love conferences. I love the inspiration and inspirational environment of them. But as as you and I well know, how many times do pastors and church leaders go to conferences only to be, you know, to be inspired, only to just file away that conference notebook and maybe try to do one thing. Maybe try to overhaul everything that their church has done, uh, but there's been no long-lasting change. And and churches go through these cycles of oh, we're just going to try this new thing, or we're going to try this new thing, or or this new thing. And it really it keeps on going in between that. There's no, you know, as as Jim Collins puts it, you know, the the hedgehog concept. There's no flywheel happening in a church. So in light of all that, and and with my experience at, at several different churches, I began noticing that this is not just a I mean, honestly, it's not really just a a church leader, a pastor thing. It's actually a cultural thing as well. I mean, think about what our phones have done. I don't want to sound like an old grandpa. Oh, those darn phones! And no, but seriously, <laughs> I mean, think, yeah, exactly. We got uh, lost,
0: I, and we used the phone book.
1: <laughs> yeah, when when I would meet my friends, we would just say this is where we're going to meet, and and if you didn't come, you just waited there and you just people watched and you yeah. just. You know, anyways, I don't want to do that. I'm not that old. I'm in my 30s, but I do remember. Uh, So one of the things about our phones is it's, it's really wired us. It's really wired our brains to desire and long for and need instant gratification, right, where it really is to the sense of and I see this in my own personal spiritual story. Where it's like, hey, if you, if you sense God, if you're praying for something, if you sense, uh, you know, if, if you're asking for ne- direction, if you're asking for direction, you know, what direction should my church should go, should go you go to a conference, you hear someone talk, you're like, oh, that, well, that's it. That's it. I mean, I got it. I got to do what they just said. I got to do it right now. You know, because what do you do if you want to listen to an audiobook? You download it. What do you do if you want to read a book? You download it. If you, if you live in a place where there's Amazon Prime now, you know, within two hours, you get your groceries right, delivered to your door. And it's yeah. just like everything is instant. Well, that's really seeped into the way that we lead our churches and the way that we view discipleship. Mm-hmm. You know, we view discipleship, you know, from the sense of, okay, what can you do? You know, it's, it's, it's really this, this immediate gratification, this instant transformation that we want happening, but it really right. doesn't happen that way. So this book is really from the point of, okay, how do we you know, not long for that big, shiny silver bullet that's going to solve everything for us. Yeah. But what are the small shifts that every church can take, regardless of size or model, uh, that that is going to lead them to a longer lasting change where they are making disciples that are making disciples, you know, that are planting churches that are then making disciples and and, go, uh, and, 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 and ongoing.
0: That's good, man. That's really good. You know, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned how they go to the conference. I, I, I always think of pastors as kind of, you know, we're, we're almost, it's like a a pack of dogs, right? When the fire truck goes by, you know, you know, we bright, bright, shiny, flashing lights, you know, down, woo, woo, a lot of noise and a lot of lights and, you know, everybody goes until the ambulance goes by in the other direction. And, yeah. um, and, and we get excited about the wrong things. Mm. And I love that what, what you're doing with your book is you're really bringing people back. And this is always my, my soft spot or my love language. You know how like Gary Smalley says there's five love languages. Yeah. I think there's a sixth. And that is if you're talking first century, that's my passion. And so these mm. small, small shifts that transform your ministry. Um, they're they're rooted and grounded in not just the latest fads, and that there are certain timeless principles that we find in the New Testament and throughout church history. That you know, the danger is as we tra- chase these fads, that we're missing things that Jesus has been doing in the church for two thousand years. And so, yeah. can you unpack um what some of these shifts
1: are? So one of the shifts uh is is just the idea of I guess, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out which one to start with.
0: You have and, the first one by which- the way, by the way, let me say this. I will say to all the listeners, buy the book, don't don't go, oh I'll just get the quick cliff notes from Daniel here. I actually I've seen Daniel twice since I read this. Um the afterword to me, the 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 epilogue was one of the most powerful things I've read all year. Mm. Um it was just yeah. so powerful. Um it the Holy Spirit really used it to speak to me. Um, praise God. Of course it talked about Jeff Buckley a lot. So, um <laughs> yeah. you know, Jeff Buckley. So, thank you for yeah. writing about Jeff Buckley. <laughs> yeah. But second of all, um just guys make sure you get it. Um you don't don't cheat,
1: you know. Daniel's going to give you some stuff, but you need to read it. Mm, thanks. Thanks, Faye. And I'm glad it's October when we're recording this and not January. So, <laughs> <laughs> what you've read all year, that's a great comment. <laughs> uh, okay. So, the first, I guess the first shift is the idea of how do you move from a destination mindset of discipleship to a directional one? And the biggest difference there is a destination mindset is, hey, take this class, get baptized do these things, and then you're a disciple, you know, check these boxes off. And a directional mindset is the idea of, you know, Hebrews 12 and Philippians 3. I mean, running the race of faith with perseverance. Eugene Peterson says, you know, it's a long obedience in the same direction. So so this first chapter takes a look at what does it look like for us to see discipleship from a 50,000-foot level? Because if I were to corner any one of your listeners or the majority of the pastors that I've had the privilege to interact with, most would say— that and and agree that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction and most would say yeah discipleship is directional they would say that but when i look at the way that discipleship happens in their churches most would then be on the actually on the destination side where they're like yes it is directional but the way that we disciple is by doing this course taking this class and then getting baptized and then doing this and then you're good to go Right. And part of the part of the tension that we see there is, I mean, we are byproducts of our educational system, right? We are byproducts of our culture. So how were we educated, right? Because we disciple the way that we've been discipled. If you were even discipled, right? And if you were never discipled, that's probably why, you know, a, a big indicator as to why maybe discipleship isn't happening the way that you might want it to. Right? We teach the way that we've been taught, we parent the way that we've been parented, right? unless we consciously do so otherwise. So while we might have read the Bible and said, yes, this is how discipleship looks, the way that we actually implement it is really, I mean, there's a ton of churches that just do the copycat thing, right? Yeah. what we were talking about earlier and 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 you know they'll change things here and there and and other churches will be more of a silver bullet. Uh, type of of church where yeah discipleship is a destination get these things done but it looks shiny from the outside right every all the processes you know systems are all set in place it looks great Uh, and then you got hippie churches that are you know they see discipleship from a directional lens and it's it's really you know do whatever works for you if if you want to worship God in the mountains, worship God in the mountains. Why have corporate worship? If you know, you know, like there, there are guys like that. And then you got intentional churches that say, no, discipleship is directional. But how do you actually implement that from the outset? Now, like here's here's the really funny thing. I've had a few pastors, and and yes, I'm saying this on the air, right? But I've had pastors actually email me, and and they they didn't want to you know tweet out publicly, so they'll direct message me or they'll Facebook message me because they're like, okay, Daniel, I. You know, I know it's a message, but it seems like they're whispering. They're like, Daniel, uh, I know, you know, you work at Lifeway and there's this book called Simple Church that your bosses wrote, <laughs> Tom Rainer and Eric Geiger. Uh, are you saying that Simple Church is wrong? Like, is is your influences matrix and what I just described where right. my was my quadrant, the influences matrix? Are you saying that that? symbol churches are are silver bullet churches. And and they're like, but what about the purpose, you know, Saddleback? What about the purpose driven model? And, you know, are you saying that that's wrong? And that's a silver bullet church? And I'm like, no, 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 you you got me wrong. This, what I just presented, if you think back to those old school encyclopedias where they had the human body and you got transparencies that would show the respiratory system, circulatory system, lymphatic system. So just like that's a transparency that overlays. This matrix is a transparency that overlays your church that helps you identify how do we actually see discipleship and what are the shifts that we can actually make as a result of it so the biggest difference between a silver bullet church and an intentional one yes they view discipleship differently one is destination focused and another is directional but the biggest difference is maturity the goals for maturity Right. Because the silver bullet church is going to say you're mature when you uh, you come on a weekend, you're part of a group, you give and you serve and you do this right And you I mean you taken these classes now. If you do those things, do mature people do those things? Yes. But does it necessarily mean that everyone who does those things is mature? No. Right. Right. So the biggest difference with the intentional church is they see goals, not unilaterally as a, hey, the goals are a one dimensional term. You know, all you got to do is do these things and you're good to go. But they see it uh, from this perspective of input and output. And that's the research that I dig into uh, and I unpack in the second chapter. That's really cool, man. Really, really cool. It's funny how
0: you, you point out that we disciple how we were discipled. Yeah. And, you know, I was on a call earlier today with a bunch of church planners who, um, they were asking me, how do you disciple? Because I told them, I said, look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when you're planning a church, um, you, you, if you're apostolic, they're as- asking about how the different roles in Ephesians 4, if they operate today, what they look like. And, um, and I mentioned that the apostolic person really is discipling, um, non-believers into believers, if you think about it from that direction. But, um, I, I you know, they said, what do you do? And, and I laughed and said, you know, I, I do what I was taught, you know, yeah. <laughs> literally to this day, I was taken through first John. And yeah. To this day, I take people through first John. It's been 30 years on. Yeah. That's how I disciple new, like, new believers, new believers. Okay. Yeah. First John. And, that's uh, cool. yeah. And, and what's really interesting too, the other thing, and this probably, it hadn't occurred to me until you said that. That this probably explains why I tick the way I tick, I suppose, is to me, discipleship's made up of three different, um, components. Jesus spent time with people. He taught them. And then he, he took them out on what I call tactics or tactical training. So there was yeah. hands on mission. You, that's discipleship. Those three things, yeah, that's, that's a Peyton Jones philosophy. I might yeah. be totally wrong. Different people think different, but. I was thrown out the week I was saved to go share the gospel with total strangers. So, and I hate doing that and I'm a sucky evangelist, but to this day, you know, that lit something within me, which is I always want to be interacting with, with people outside of the faith, just on a, and doing stuff that scares the crap out of me. If I do that, I know I'm in a good place. Now, uh, cold calling, you know, stranger evangelism is not my thing. But it's translated. It's interesting because for me, it's always getting people hands on is the missing component. And that's my passion. Yeah. So it's really interesting that you said that. That that, well, that that clicked.
1: Well, what I love about what you just shared there, right, in terms of, you know, Jesus taught them, spent time with them and went out and, and did stuff with them. Uh, in chapter, in, in one of the chapters in my book, I, I talk about this idea of moving from being a sage on the stage to being a guide on the side. Yeah. And I cite this research. So there is research behind that where it's, it's called the 70 principle. And I'm not to be confused with the, the 80/20 principle. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right it, is, it is a little bit different, but the idea here is and this comes from Dr. Alan Tuff, um, the book's called "The Adult Learning Projects," And he basically states that 70 percent of the way that we learn is by doing, right, on the job by doing, 20 percent is by interaction, and 10 percent is by listening. Mm. Now, if that's the case when we disciple in our churches, why is it that seventy percent is by listening? Yep. In a class, yep. Twenty percent by interaction and ten percent by doing.
0: Okay, you're speaking my love language again. <laughs> this is, this right? is we what makes it. me tick.
1: We flip it, right? And it's like if this is how humans learn. Yes. If this is how, okay, now let me not let me backtrack. If this is how adults learn. Yeah. Because we teach the way that we've been taught what's really what's happening in our churches is we're teaching adults through a pedagogical method. Yeah. Right. And there's a difference between pedagogy and andragogy. Pedagogy is childhood education. Andragogy is adult education. And if and if we if the way that we're teaching is, oh, well, you know, when I was in math class, it was a it was a blackboard and the teacher wrote out the equation. And, you know, and that's how we learn. Isn't that how I'm supposed to teach today? But that's not how we learn as adults. You know,
0: it's so rad that you're saying this because Dead Poets Society, Mm. anyone that's ever seen that movie, the way that guy taught literature, right? He's taken them out. They're outside in the, you know, that right there is, that's my approach to church planter training. People ask me, how do you train planters? I plant churches with them. Mm. You know, I I take them with me. That's how Paul trained Timothy, right? Yeah. So that's, that's really, really cool. And I love that, man. The, the idea of not being a sage on the stage, but a guide from the side. And that is, again, that is just, those are just two of the shifts that Daniel has unpacked. We're running out of time, but, um, Daniel, is there anything that you want to say just as kind of like a final little, you know, um, little word out there to, to planters? Um, any, any sage wisdom, any guide from the side? Any, um, I'm going to make one up now. Any ninja turtle from the, no, there's nothing wrong with ninja turtle.
1: Well, you're you're wearing the right shirt. You're not wearing a DC comic shirt. It's a Marvel shirt.
0: I'm a traitor. So, you know, I put this yeah. on with a bit of shame every time because I'm such a DC fan. Are you a I'm, DC I'm fan? Batman oh, Superman. okay. Well, I have Marvel. I think Marvel does everything better than DC. As yeah. far as a fan of what company, Marvel kills it over DC. But the iconic
1: characters, I like, got, I just can't get yeah. away
0: from Batman. I just no. can't.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think I DC. Can't quit is- you Batman. No, I love Batman too and and I think DC's making a, a turnaround. I hope uh so. I mean with Wonder Woman and I mean yeah, they we'll see what happens. But that's not related to the book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you Welcome know
0: what <laughs> I did. doesn't have to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did want to leave with this though. Uh, my heart is for multiplication. Right, uh, that's the heart of new churches. That's the heart of everything that I'm. I'm. I mean, everything that I'm about. So whether honestly, whether it's church planting or multi-site, yeah. um, I'm okay with both. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not one of those people that kind of pit one against the other because really, at the end of the day, it's about multiplication. It's about reaching the lost. It's if if you're planting a church or starting a campus and it's all about sheep swapping, I'm not about that. Right. Right. And you can plant a campus or a church and be all about sheep sheep swapping and and really it's about reaching the lost. Now here's the thing. If you want multiplying
0: churches right now in America, do both.
1: Mm, Yeah, you're right. They do. It is, it is a both end. Mm. Yeah. So what's interesting um, is in order to multiply, right? In order to multiply uh, so much of our life, we obsess over what have made other people successful. Right. I mean, I, I remember my mom would always pray that I would win as many people to Christ as Billy Graham did. Now, that's not happening. Uh, maybe not yet. Uh, who knows what God has in store? But that honestly, she would always say that. And that was always a prayer for me that she would have. And, and I'm like, what can I learn from Billy Graham? And there's so much to learn from Billy Graham. But I'm not Billy Graham. Right. I'm not Billy Graham. And Sun Shu in, in the book, The Art of War, says this. And, I, and, I, and I, it's not the direct quote. I like paraphrasing it, where he basically said, if you know your enemy, you're going to win half the battles. If you know yourself, you're going to win the other half. All right. And so much of our life, we obsess on knowing the enemy. Okay. Not the enemy per se, but like right. what has made Peyton successful? What has made Billy Graham successful? What has made, you know, and we obsess on the other that we actually neglect ourselves and discerning who has God called me to be. Right. So that's personally, but on the other hand, as a church, your church is a byproduct and has your DNA in it. And if you don't know how, why you lead the way that you lead, then how are you going to multiply your church and make it reproducible when you don't really know right? why it is that you lead the way you lead? So all that to say is a lot of churches' cultures and a lot of church plans' values are are unknown and they're, and they're this idea of, Oh no, we gotta be gospel centered, spirit filled Bible believing. And yeah, those are, those are, I mean, Patrick Lencioni says as well, those are permission to play values. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have those values, put them in your statement of faith, but they're not really your core values that change the way that you do discipleship that change the way that you equip leaders so that you can get to the vision that God has called you to. So if you can imagine a, a, you know, vision right at the top and if you can imagine a double helix going to vision, that's your strategy. One side, one strand is your leadership pipeline. The other is your discipleship pathway. Mm. You know, that's the what that you do to get to the vision, the where that you need to be. Right. Well, your values are what surrounds it all because your values are how you do what you do to get to where you need to be. So for every church, uh, church plant, and it, this is great for church plants, uh, figure out how you're going to disciple. Figure out your discipleship pathway before you get started. And if you are an established Mm, church, you're not too late. You're not too late. Because it is everything that a church does, right? Men's ministry, mm. small groups, Sunday school, worship, missions, everything that a church does is either related to equipping the saints for the work of ministry or maturing them to Christ. Leadership pipeline or discipleship pathway. Yeah. So I so my book's really focusing on the discipleship pathway end of things.
0: I love it, man. That's that was a major takeaway from for for me with um my last church plant was mm-hmm it redefined what i thought a leader was um yeah. i now believe that leaders are just people that were discipled really well not mm. always, but most people that you never think about being you disciple them and yeah. look out right yeah. i, I yeah, think we right. have 12 of those guys in the new testament and i think mm. they're the 12 <laughs> apostles no one would have ever seen leadership potential in those
1: guys Yeah, but you're jesus right.
0: Spent three years and remade them. So, hey, uh, real quick, one last question. Um, again, that's No Silver Bullets, Daniel M. You can get it anywhere that fine books are sold. And uh, you can also go to danielm.com. And, you know, kind of get in touch with Daniel. Check out some of the articles he's written, other things, his podcast. And, uh, Daniel, we always ask a question before we end this podcast. And, uh, it changes up every time, but it's always the same question. If you and Ed Stetzer were to get in a physical fist fight, who would win?
1: <laughs> oh, I would definitely win. <laughs>
0: yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. No, I'm no, a black, I'm no, a,
1: what? I'm a black belt. You're a black belt? Yes, yes I am.
0: No yeah. way. That is so rad. So I'm not yeah. going to mess with you cuz I have <laughs> short man syndrome. You're taller than me, but you're kind of thin. You know, you're not you're not yeah. real thick or anything, but
1: you're yeah. fast, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Belt. Black it's all about belt in what? In Taekwondo. Dude, that's so rad. Okay, yeah. So respect not, for you now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, Taekwondo. Right? It's it's not like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or it's not like any So I'm not it's not really a good street fighting type of martial arts uh but you know there's a lot of agility that happens and i'm sure i can last longer than (laughs) that yeah exactly
0: and they're in trouble so that's pretty cool i love it man this this is the first time we've ever had someone go i'm a black belt so uh you know congratulations this this podcast has run i don't know how long but first black belt on here. there you go man there you go so Hey, our guest today has been Daniel M. Thanks for coming on. This has been Hardcore Church Planning. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.